0: I'm going to start a sermon series this morning called First Things First. Would you say that with me? First Things First. Now I'm going to ask you for a few moments to open your heart, listen intently to the words of the Scripture, listen to the sermon this morning, and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Sometimes it's easy to get distracted around us, but remember, love your neighbor principle. Remember, your neighbors watching you, whatever you're doing. So let's pay attention and, and look up here and love your neighbor. And, uh, and I want the Holy Spirit to bring transformational change, not only in my heart, but all of our hearts this morning. Is that good? Amen. So thank you so much. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 13, verse number one. Wonderful worship, by the way. I love that song, It Is Well. Isn't that good? Amen. Derek? Katie, we love you. I know you just got back praying for both of you. And it's good to see Derek and Katie back with us. Love them. Would you give them a hand clap of appreciation? Exodus chapter 13, beginning with verse number 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and of beast, it is mine." Now look at verse 11, and it shall be that when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that ye shall set apart to the Lord all that have an open womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal, which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of the donkey, ye shall redeem it with a lamb. And, you, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all of his firstborn of man among your sons, ye you shall redeem. So it shall be that when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this that ye shall say to him? By the strength of the Lord and the hand of the Lord has brought us out of the land of Egypt. And now the house of bondage. It shall come to pass that when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I will sacrifice to the Lord all males that are open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I will redeem. And it shall be a sign to you on your hand and between your eyes for the strength of the hand. Of the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt. First things first. First things first. Say that with me. First, Lord, add the blessing to your servant this morning that endeavors to preach your word. Let me preach it with boldness. Don't let me compromise your message. Let it go forth to the soil of our hearts, and I pray that your church would be receptive, that we'd be found faithful and fruitful. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. There was a woman a few years ago who went to a pet store to buy a parrot. She was so lonely, she wanted some companionship. And she wanted someone to talk to. So she thought buying a parrot would take care of her companionship needs. The next day she bought the parrot with a fair price. She took it home and the parrot didn't say a word. She brought it back to the pet store and said to the owner, he just won't talk. The store manager asked, well, did you get a mirror in the cage for that little parrot? Parrots love to look at themselves. So she said, You know what I'll do? I'll just buy this little mirror and I'll take it home so my little parrot can look at itself and maybe this parrot will start talking to me. Well, the next day she brings the parrot back and she was so distressed. She said to the owner of the pet store, This parrot is still not talking to me and I bought this parrot so I can have some companionship. The store owner said, Well, what about a ladder? parrots love to climb up and down ladders. When he is happy, I know that this parrot will talk to you. So she bought a ladder, and then she left the store. The next day, she came back into the store, slammed the door, and she was complaining. She said to the store owner, I bought a mirror, I bought a ladder, and this bird is still not talking. Well, the manager of the store said, I know what you need. I know what you need. You need a swing. Because when birds are happy, they'll begin to talk. I just know he'll talk to you, ma'am, if you can just get a swing. So reluctantly, she bought the swing and took it home. Sure enough, the next day, she comes back and she has this sad, gloomy face. She said to the the pet owner, the the manager of the pet store, she said, My poor parrot died. Boo-hoo. I'm sad. The manager said, well, I'm so sorry, dear. Please do tell me, did your parrot say anything before he died? The woman with a raspy voice said, yes. My little parrot said in a weak voice, he asked me one question. Mama, don't they sell any food at that pet store? David Yates, was that a good one? <laughs> kind of cheesy, right? I like cheesies. So what's the point of the story? The woman was so concerned about making the parrot talk that she forgot the most important thing, which was the food. Feeding the parrot. See, if she would have fed the parrot first then the pair would not have died, and more likely, he would have been happy. She failed at doing the first things first. You see, this morning I'm not talking about parrots. I'm going to talk about your life. Because sometimes in life, you got to be careful that you don't forget to put first things first. C.S. Lewis, that great theologian, said it like this, and I quote, Put first things first, and second things are thrown in. Put second things first, and you'll lose first and the second things. You see, my friends, how about you this morning? Are there areas in your life where you are putting second things first? I mean, I think we all can agree this morning that we all have failed at some time in our life putting first things first. Have you ever failed at having wrong priorities in your life? Have you ever neglected the most important things in life? Have you ever overlooked what was essential to your life? Have you ignored the most crucial things in your life before? Now, there is no condemnation this morning. We certainly all have done that. And what I want to do for the next few weeks, I want to start a sermon series called First Things... First it is very common especially in our postmodern society to hear Christians say quote I am putting God first I am putting God number 1 God is priority in my life the main thing must be the main thing but my friends I want to ask you a question this morning what does it really mean to put God first What does it mean that God is priority in your life? What does it mean that God is essential in your life? If we're not careful, we can be caught up in this Rolodex of Christian knees, kind of just throwing statements around, a cliche. Yes, God is number one, and yes, God is first. But my friends, you could put it on t-shirts You can declare it with your mouth, but that doesn't mean you have placed God number one in your life. What does it mean that God is number one? What does it mean that God is first in your life? Now, there is a plethora of answers to that. Some people would say, well, to put God first would mean that you have to attend church more. Some would say you got to read your Bible more. Some would say, well, you got to serve more. Some would say you have to witness more. And others would say you simply have to pray more. My friends, it could get confusing. Everybody has a different definition of what it means to put God first. And as you sit there this morning and you hear these words that I am preaching, I want you to do self-evaluation of your own life. Is God number one in your life? And if He is number one in your life, then what are the implications of that? What do we mean that God is number one? What do we mean that God is priority in our life? And I'm glad that you're here. Because for the next few Sundays, we're going to take a journey through the pages of Scripture. And we're going to understand what it means to put God number one in our life. Now, my friends, I get it. Life is busy. I understand that. And I'm sure most of you this morning could raise your hand and agree with the pastor that life has certainly gotten busy. We all have schedules. We all have relationships and friendships. We all have budgets to meet, bills to pay, people to spend time with. I understand that. And sometimes life can be a whirlwind. Somebody once said that life is like a carousel. Sometimes you're up, and sometimes you're down, and sometimes you just go round and round. And if you're like me, sometimes I find myself going round and round and round. But I want to encourage you this morning as Christians, that no matter how busy you are, you've got to keep first things first no matter how packed your schedule is, you have to understand as a believer, you got to put priority first. First things come first. Because when you put first things first, God has a way of working everything else out. And with our nature, we want to try to work everything out ourselves without putting first things first. And I promise you, you will exhaust yourself If you don't learn to put first things first. You see, Dwight Moody, that great evangelist, revivalist, said these great words, and I quote, Our greatest fear should not be failure, but succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Let me read that to you again. Our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. As a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, as somebody who loves Jesus this morning, all of us should be concerned with the question, is Jesus number one in my life? And if Jesus is number one in my life, then what are the implications of that? What am I doing to live that out in my life? Am I living the mission of Jesus out in my everyday life. Now, I'm not a scholar by any means, and I'm not a theologian, although I love theology, I love Scripture, and I love to study the Word of God. And there are many different definitions I could give you for what it means to put God first. But I just want to give you a few this morning. There are others. I'm not sure if I could exhaust a plethora of definitions for what it means to put God first. But here are just a few. Number one, he should be the priority over everything else. He, number two, should be the principal figure in your life. He should be the most important person in your life above all other relationships. His word should be more valuable than any other message that you have heard or any other message that you have read. His will should be weightier than any other imperative in your life. In other words, let me say it like this. Let me just break it down. What does it mean to put God first? It could mean that His agenda is my agenda. His values are my values. His will becomes my will. Whatever God cares about, I care about. His heartbeat becomes my heartbeat. In other words, I'm wholly surrendered to the plan of God and to the will of God and to the purpose of God. My life is not my own. I am a slave in the house of God. I am a slave to the plan and to the purpose of God. I am no longer a master of my own life. I no longer dictate my own will, my purpose, or my plan. I am a slave in the hand of God. I do His will. C.S. Lewis also said this, and I quote, if you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you're embarking on something which will take the whole of you. You see, in other words, C.S. Lewis is saying this, if you really are serious about being a Christian, if you're really serious in following Jesus, if you're really serious in following the path of discipleship, it will take all of you, all of you. And that is why my friends, the mission of this church is to love God with all of our head, heart, hands, and feet. It's a holistic approach that not just do I love God with my heart, I love God with my mind. That is why I encourage you to go to growth point and get involved in classes. Because it's just not a heart thing, it's a head thing as well. That's why we encourage you to serve the church. Because serving Jesus, putting him first, is realizing that his house comes before my house. It realizes that if I'm going to serve Jesus, it means that i got to follow him in my feet. And that have to be intentional about inviting someone to church and sharing the gospel with Jesus Christ. You have to be intentional about it. You have to be intentional about it. Somebody once said this: What does it mean to put Jesus first? They have the acronym first, F I R S T, and they said it like this: F means finances. Is Jesus? Is your finances surrendered to Jesus? Your interest, your hobbies, your career, your recreation, does it reflect God's purpose? Your relationships, which is your family or marriage or friendships, your schedule. Are you busy, 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 and you have not carved time for God and church worship? Or trouble, the last thing, T, trouble. Where do you go when you feel stressed in life? Where do you go when you are troubled in life? Do you run to the bottle? Do you run to the pills? Do you run to drugs? Do you run to sex? Do you run to porn? Or do you run to God? Where do you run when you feel as though life is caving in? My friends, you got to put first things first. got to put priority where priority is at. Because I've learned, and I'm sure you have learned, that if you don't put first things first, there will someone come in your life and some things will come in your life and they will become number one. That is why you have to be intentional that as for me and my house, we will attend church on Sunday morning. That as for me and my house, we will attend Bible studies. We will be involved in a small group. That is for me and my house, we will serve the church and serve the world. As for me in my house, I don't want to live my life doing something that really doesn't matter. Is there anybody in the building that has that heart this morning? Now, let us look at our text this morning for a few moments. It is an Old Testament story. Now, let me remind you, the Old Testament is very, very important. Some of us get really scared with the Old Testament. I get it. You see all those names, all those names you can't pronounce, and you're like, I don't understand the Old Testament. Well, I get you. I got you. Give me a high five. I got you. It's all right. I just want to remind you that the Old Testament is not as hard as you think it is. If you really looked at the Old Testament, you know what the Old Testament's about. It is about a group of people. They were called Hebrews. Hebrews. They're called Jews or they're called Israelites. They were God's people. And God had a plan for this people. He gave them a piece of land. It was called Israel, Palestine, the Holy Land. God gave that land for them so they could live there. Now why? Because God had a purpose for these people. God wanted these people to live there so that they could be an example to the whole world that there is only but one God. But you read the Old Testament and you'll find something. These people always disobeyed God. They always ran after false gods. They always were rebellious. And because of their rebellion, because of them worshiping other gods, and because they didn't put first things first, God punished them. And we come to the book of Exodus here, and it's the story of God's people. And let me give you just a quick background. The story of God's people, these people, the scripture tells us, were in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. You know the story. Moses. God told Moses, I want you to go lead all of my people out of the land of Egypt, and I want you to lead them to the land that I'm going to give them. And that's where we're at in the book of Exodus. It's, God is getting ready. He's moved these people out of the land of bondage. He's moving them out of the land of Egypt. He's moving them out of slavery and he's going to give them a piece of land. In other words, Exodus chapter 13, the scripture I just read to you is a new story, is a new beginning. It's a new chapter. God is getting ready to do some new things. Now, I know you're thinking this morning, Pastor, I don't care for the Old Testament. But let me remind you that the Old Testament is there because it was written for our example. I think the scripture, if it serves me right, first. Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 6, speaking of the children of Israel, I'm going to quote this scripture to you. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, now these things became our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In other words, the writer here is saying the Old Testament was written so it can be your example so you don't do what those people did. What about Romans chapter 15, verse 4? And I quote, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. You see, my friends, I just read two scriptures to you, and it informed us that everything that was written in the Old Testament was written for our example. It was written for our spiritual formation. It was written for our example. Don't do what those people did. Turn aside and put God first. Put God first. You see, God, in Exodus 13, the scripture I just read to you, God's bringing His people out of Egypt. He delivered them, and He's going to give them a piece of land. He's bringing them into Canaan, God's promised land. And this is a new season, a new chapter. And you know what God is saying? I love this scripture. God is saying, you're getting ready to march into your new season. And he told his people, there's something I want you to do. There is something I want you to hearken to me about. And the Bible says in Exodus 13, verse number one, this is the scripture. This is what God wanted his people to do when they were going in to their new land. This is a new season. This is a new chapter. God is getting ready to do something miraculous. And God is saying to his people, listen, in Exodus chapter 13 and verse number one, this is what God says to these people. He says, I want you to give me the first of your firstborn. You see that? I want you to consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens its womb, I want you to give it to me, number one. Now, isn't that interesting? God is saying, when you go into this new land, I want you to give me the first. Every animal that gives birth, I want you to give me the first animal. I want everybody in this building to shout as loud as you can shout, give me the first animal. God said, I want you to give me the first. Maybe, my friends, God is establishing a pattern here. Just maybe. Maybe it's first things first. He says, I want you to give me the firstborn. I want you to give it to me. It is mine. Give it to me. Now, it's interesting to me that God did something else and you got to look at this very closely. Now, can I remind you what happens in this scripture? I want you to see in Exodus chapter 13, and I want you to see something interesting. When I discovered this, my spirit leaped in my stomach because I thought, this is so good. This was really written for our instruction. Now, do you know what the Bible says in verse number 11? If you read verse 11 of chapter 13, the Bible says that there was a, excuse me, a difference between A clean animal and an unclean animal. For instance, an unclean animal would be a donkey. Everybody shout donkey. And a clean animal would be a what? A lamb. A sheep. Now according to this scripture, according to this scripture, the unclean animal, which was the donkey, had to be redeemed by a clean animal. Is that what the Bible says? Look at verse number 11. Exodus 13 verse 11. And it shall be that when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, that he swore to your fathers, that ye shall set apart to the Lord the open womb, that every firstborn that comes from the animal, all the males shall be the Lord. But every firstborn of the donkey. Do you see verse 13? The donkey is the unclean animal. Ye shall redeem it with a clean animal, which is a what? A lamb. And if you can't do it, then break its neck. For all the firstborn among your sons, you shall redeem. So do you see what the scripture is saying? I'm trying to contain my Pentecostal posture. What is the unclean animal? Donkey. What is the clean animal? The lamb. The unclean animal had to be redeemed by a clean animal. The unclean animal had to be redeemed by the clean animal. If you couldn't do it, you break its neck, but it still belonged to the Lord. See, this is a picture of our salvation because the Scripture says, look at it, verse 13. Do you see the ending of the Scripture? And the firstborn of man among your sons ye shall redeem. Do you know what the Scripture is saying? That mankind is also an unclean animal. And he had to be redeemed by a lamb. Oh, hallelujah. But isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus is the clean animal, the Lamb of God. I am the donkey. Somebody say amen. And he has redeemed me. I'm unclean. He is clean. He is the Lamb of God. And He has redeemed me. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 17, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Somebody shout hallelujah. You see, we have redemption through His blood. You see, the point of it is, is that God said, when you go into your land, I want you to give me the very first, because I believe that God was trying to establish a principle, not a mandate, a principle. Give me first. Give me first. You know why? Because the scripture says in Ezekiel chapter, excuse me, Exodus 13, verse 14, look at this. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 14. Exodus 13 and verse number 14. I want you to see it. So it shall be that when your sons ask you in time, saying, what is this? That ye shall say to him, by the strength of the hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Do you know what the Lord is saying? The Lord is saying, I want you to give me your number one animal. I want you to give me your first. And then the Bible says your children will ask you one day, what are you doing? Why are you giving the first? And your response will be, my son and my daughter, the reason I'm giving my first is because I remember when I was your age. I was living in bondage in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh, but God raised up a leader by the name of Moses and delivered us from the house of bondage. And the least I can do is to give God number one because I remember where I was. That's the least I can do. The least I could do is to give God number one. The least I could do is to give God first. Because of what God has done for me. Now there are many different ways, my friends, that you could put God first. There's many different areas in your life that you could put God first. I mean, I could go down and say, is God first in your marriage? I can ask the spouses. Do you pray together with your spouse? Do you consult the Lord is the voice of the Lord stronger than the voice of your spouse? Are you leading your family as a priest and a king? Are you being the man of God that you should be? Is God, number one, is His will greater than any other will? Are you the man or w- women? Are you, are you the woman of God that you need to be? Children. Children. Are we who we need to be? You know, I could just go on and on and on. There's many different facets, but there's one area that I believe has great tension most of the time. The reason I believe it has great tension is because of great misunderstanding. Great misunderstanding and a lot of sometimes people have been offended and people have been upset. And my attention this morning as your pastor is not to upset you. My Tension this morning is to challenge you to be more like Jesus in every area of your life. I want you to be more like Jesus in your marriage. I want you to honor your spouse as Christ loves the church. I want you to honor God on your place of employment. I want you to honor God with your family and your friend. I want you to honor God with your body. I mean, I want you to put God in every aspect of your life, but there's one area that there is great misunderstanding about, and sometimes a little tension. We want to back away, and that is the area of our finances. Now, granted, I can testify, and you could testify, that all of us at one point or another has had financial difficulty. All of us has been in rough spots before. All of us has been in places where it's been full of tension, because you didn't know what bill to pay first. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, I've been there before? And do you know that the number one cause of divorce in America is money? And the second cause of divorce in America is the lack of communication. Communication and finances are, are, are what causes the majority of divorces in America. Now my friends, Jesus says a whole lot about your money. Jesus doesn't shy away. Now if Jesus shouldn't shy away, Pastor Josh shouldn't shy away. You see, the Bible says in the book of Acts that Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. There is more in the Bible than salvation. There is more in the Bible than uh, being a good steward and uh, being a good employee and ha- being a good husband and a good wife. The Bible is filled with, with plethoras of commands and advice and counsel. And one of those things that sometimes we overlook is the area of our finances. Why? Because money is neutral. Money is an indicator of your heart. Money is neither good, money is neither bad. Money just reveals who you truly are. If you are selfish, money reveals how selfish you are. If you are generous, then money will reveal how generous you are. If you're stingy, money will reveal how stingy you are. Oh, I've heard people say, boy, if I won the lottery... I'd pay the church off and I'd bless X amount of people. No, you won't. If you cannot be faithful with $100 a week, you won't be faithful with the million dollars that comes by you scratching off. Stop scratching lottery tickets and please be faithful to God with your tithes and offerings. Do y'all still love me? Money... Reveals who you are. You see, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, this is what Jesus says For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and I quote, No man can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or despise the one or be loyal to the other. You cannot serve God and mamma, which is money. You can't serve God and money. Why? Because Jesus understood that money is a great temptation for the majority of people. The Bible says in Leviticus, excuse me, Luke chapter 12 and verse number 15. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. Boy, isn't that a strong word? Life doesn't consist with the abundance of things that you possess. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Listen to this scripture. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Even the apostle said that many people have caused a lot of grief to themselves because they don't know how to take care of money. They've been greedy. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money is just an indicator of who you are. Money just reveals where your heart is. You know that scripture I just read to you a few moments ago? I'm going to give you three quick points. Number one, the Bible says that they were to bring the firstborn, not the second one. Remember Exodus chapter 13, he said, I want you to bring the firstborn. He never said, I want you to bring the 10th, or I want you to bring the second. He said, I want you to bring the firstborn. Do you know why, my friends? Because it takes a lot of faith to give the first. If you had 10 sheep, it doesn't take a lot of faith to give one of those sheep away. But it takes a whole lot of faith to give the one sheep. Do you know why it takes a whole lot of faith? Because you don't know if you're going to get another one. You don't know if there's another one coming. So it takes a lot of faith. If you wait until the end to make an offering, after the whole flock comes in, well, that takes no faith. You can see that you are provided for. Giving is a declaration of saying this I don't know where it's coming from but God I trust you that you will take care of me and that you are my source that is why I give you number one because I don't know the future I don't know if I'm going to get any more sheep but I'm going to give you the first one because I'm going to acknowledge that you are my provider you're going to take care of me you are my source and everything else is a resource I want you to listen to Pastor Josh. Your job is not your source. If you are a Christian and you and, and all you and you work 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 shame on you because your job is not your source. God is your the same God that gave it to you will be the same God that can take it away. That is why you better put first things first. First things first. If you're gonna run after money and run after your job, and listen, you gotta have a job, believe me, you gotta provide for your family, but you cannot depend as if that is your source, and you hoard it up and you keep it, hoard it up in the barns because it's your only source. It doesn't work that way, my friends. You give God your first and your best. It runs throughout the Bible. I could stand up here and preach another hour, which I will not. But I want you to listen to these scriptures. Talking about the principle of the first. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And what happened? The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. God honored the person who brought the firstborn. Can somebody say amen? Exodus chapter 22, verse 29, ye shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices for the firstborns of your sons you shall give to me. Firstborn. firstborn. Exodus chapter 34 verse 26. The first of the first fruits of the land ye shall bring to the house of the Lord and ye shall not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. Do you see the phrase? Bring the first of the first fruits to me. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 26 verse 1. And it shall be that when you come into the land the Lord thy God has given you as an inheritance and ye shall possess it and dwell in it. That ye shall take some of the first fruits Of the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from the land that the Lord has given you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord God chooses to make his name abide. Do you see the principle of the first? Deuteronomy 18 verse 4, the first fruits of your grain and your new wine, your oil, and the first fruits of the fleece of your sheep, ye shall give to the Lord. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 35, and I quote, and we made ordinances, this is Nehemiah pray in a prayer. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of the ground and the first fruits of all the trees year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of the sons and the cattle, as it was written of the law, and the firstborn of the heads and the flock to the house of God, to the priest who are the ministers in the house of God to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offering the first from all kinds of trees. You get point. Bring the first. Bring the first. I am giving you a new land. I've delivered you from the land of bondage. I have been good to you. I brought you into a land that you don't deserve and I did it by my mighty hand. And the least you could do is give me the first. Give me the first. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and the vats will overflow with new wine. You've got to be obedient. You've got to do it first. The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you when you do first things first. What are you saying, pastor? I am not preaching against your job. You need to work. I'm not a preaching against your family. I'm preaching against idols that we have erected in our hearts and we worship them as God and we worship them as our source. Your job, your family, your place of employment and your paycheck should never be an idol erected in your heart. God is the only one that should be enthroned in the praises of your heart. Now, I know you all probably won't like me, but I'm still going to preach anyway. But Christ is risen from the dead and Christ has become the first fruits. God gave his first fruits. He gave his only, his first. It was Christ. 1 Corinthians 16:2 on the first day of the week lay aside something. Acts chapter 20 verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. You see, I can go on and on and on. First, first. the, the, The problem is, is that God is not against pleasures of life. God is not against some of the things you enjoy. God is against you erecting them as idols in your heart and worshiping them as your source. What if I... Bought another woman an expensive handbag. A Louis, what, how do you say it? I don't. Louis. Okay, let's suppose I bought that, and I gave it to a coworker. I mean, it's expensive and a nice bag. And then I went to the dollar store and bought my wife a handbag worth three dollars. The point is my wife should never come in second to that. If you're going to be in relationship with God, he has to always come first. He always has to come first. Now I know that some of you are just looking at the ceiling because I'm up here preaching. Some of you are just looking at the ceiling, playing with your nails. But the prob- the problem is is that some of us is going to go around that same mountain for 40 years and 40 years and 40 years, and you're going to grumble and complain and put on Facebook why nothing ever works out. And this prophet of God is standing up here declaring, "Thus says the Lord, that if you don't put priorities right, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. It's not." You can hoop and holler and fall all over the floor. It's not going to work out until God is number one in your life. Number two, they brought the first and the best. They didn't donate it. The Bible says, and they brought the first. The scripture in Ephesia, Exodus 13, 12 is the language of bringing and not donating. Now what's the difference? When you donate something that belongs to you, that you want to give to someone else. But you cannot donate what already belongs to someone else. So let's suppose you borrow my car. And when you get done with my car, you don't and you won't donate it back to me. It's already mine. You bring it to me. So when you come to church and you bring your tithe and offering, you're not donating it to the church, you're bringing it to the Lord as if it already belongs to God. It's not yours. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, And the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. And it's holy to God. In closing... What they had practiced, we now have a pattern for. You say, well, pastor, you're preaching legalistic. That's Old Testament. And we're not under the law. That's Old Testament. Christ has freed us from the law. We are now under grace. Why do we have to give our tenth to the Lord? Well, my friends, I agree with you. We are not under the law. Christ has delivered us from the law. We are living under the dispensation of grace. He has freed us from that. But the question we got to ask ourselves this question is, does Jesus raise the stakes or lower the law? Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, this is Jesus speaking of the law. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, Ye shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say unto you, you shall bless those who curse you. What did Jesus do? Jesus elevated it. He said, the law said this, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm elevating something new. I'm elevating a different value system, and I'm telling you that you should love your enemies and bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you. In other words, Jesus raises it. So, if the law is the minimum, love is the commandment of the New Testament and love should compel us to go further. I don't think that Jesus' love would take us back on generosity. I think that Jesus' love will make us give more because of what He's done. If they gave 10% under the law because they were delivered from the land of Egypt, how much more should you give under grace? In other words, my friend, tithing will not send you to hell. If you don't tithe, if you miss your tithing and you mess up, listen, you're not cursed and you're not going to hell because Jesus is one that saves us. Tithing doesn't save us. Tithing is a biblical pattern. It is a principle. It is a discipline and it is a habit. It is something that you see through the Old Testament where they gave their first Tithing represents 10th. And when you give of your 10th, the first off of your paycheck, you are giving the first to the Lord. Tithing is a minimum. Tithing is the floor, not the ceiling. You see, Jesus endorsed tithing in Matthew 23, 23. He says the Pharisees neglected several things, but He says... He says, but they also tithed. He says, but you should do that. But don't forget to do the others. You see, my point is this, church. The mortgage company can't bless your finances. Your job don't have the ability to supernaturally bless your finances. 90% that's blessed will go further than 100% not blessed. Your job can't bless your finances. Your business can't bless your finances. Tithing is not about getting blessed all the time. Boy, I'm going to give this so that I could get blessed. It's not about that. Tithing is simply being obedient that God owns it all. And I acknowledge God with my finances that he is my source and my job and my place of employment isn't a God to me. That God is my, I live and I breathe because God has given me. Who gave you the ability to get up in the morning and put your clothes on? Who has given you the ability to breathe through your mouth and put food in your mouth? Who has given you the ability to walk on God's green grass? It is God above. He has given you the ability to do that. Now how can we... Set in churches with cathedrals and steeples reaching high to the heavens, and sat there with our arms folded, acted like an egotistical maniac, not giving God what rightfully belongs to God. This is some hard preaching. I really love y'all. I've just studied this all week. Remember. When your son comes to you and says, Daddy, why are you giving the firstborn? You'll be able to say to him, Son, I was in Egypt. Pharaoh was my master. God brought us out. I want to be the type of parent that my little girl sees me give. I want her to see me be generous. Putting God first. Not heaping, heaping material possessions. Because what you teach them, what you give in them, will be greater than what you give to them. What you deposit in them will be greater than what you give to them. My point is this. I'm challenging this church to be tithers. I have done this principle all my life. And you say, well, pastor, you're just manipulating me. If you feel that way, give your tithe somewhere else. It's okay. If you feel like I'm manipulating you, you feel like that I'm preaching hard and you don't like it, that's between you and God. God will have to sort that heart out. You can give it somewhere else. But for those in this building that you feel called to Christ's point, and you love Pastor Josh, and you trust me, we have a financial team that looks over our finances, that does it with character and integrity, and you believe in the mission of this church, that this church is not just called just to reach this city, but we're called to reach the region, and it's going to take more than just bodies sitting in the building. It's going to take dedicated tithers and givers to see the mission of God accomplished. Can I see it? Can I hear an amen? It's going to take... People that's committed to give. I'm asking you, listen, from the bottom of my heart, I preach my heart out, not in anger, not in frustration. I'm just excited. I'm preaching with boldness, with the authority of God's word. I'm asking you, would you come along with me on this journey? And on October the 9th, on our big come and see service, I'm challenging all of us, let's tithe that morning. Whatever you make in a week, whether it's $100, a tithe would be $10. If it's $300, the tithe would be 30 Whatever you make in one week in your paycheck, on October the 9th, let's all of us be challenged and encouraged to tithe on October the 9th. Now, to some of you, that's not a, a, a challenge. You already tithe. You already give. So don't worry about it. For those of you that's not tithing, I Challenge you to try it once. Do it one time. Challenge. Let's prove and see what God can do in and through your life. You say, Pastor, I can't afford it. My friend, you can't afford not to do it. That is the purpose of tithing, it's not if you can afford it. It goes back to what do you trust. And I'm asking you on October the 9th, this is going to be a tithe challenge. I want all of us, including myself, including my wife, we're we're, we're tithers, we're givers. I'm not asking you anything that I'm not doing myself. I want you to, whatever you make in one week, it may be $50, well, it would be $5. Let's all of us tithe. Let's bring the first to the Lord. And let's try it out. And if you find it don't work, then that's up to you and God. But I want you to pray this week with your spouse. I want you to sit down and say, this week, We're going to pray together, and we're going to include God in our budget. God is going to be number one in our budget. Let's try it, and let's see what God will do. Amen? Amen. Do you believe great days are ahead for our church? I said, do you believe that great days are ahead? October the 9th is our tithe challenge. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that your word went forth in boldness and in power. Thank you, Father, that we've come today to give you our first and our best. Lord, we love you and we honor you today. And Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit, even now, is speaking to hearts. Maybe our finances are in line. Maybe we have the wrong perspective in a lot of things. Help us to put first things first. Help us to put first things first. Holy Spirit, go forward throughout the building. Deal and convict and draw. We want to be completely surrendered to you, Lord. and All that we do. All that we say. Help us to put you first. In our life. We honor you not only in our marriages, in our relationships, in our friendships. That we honor you in our finances as well. Thank you, Jesus. I pray blessings upon this church. I thank you that greater days are ahead. Would you stand across the building? Would you put your hands together and bless the Lord today? Amen. Bless the Lord.